Welcome to HGA's Redefining Workplace podcast, where we'll talk with experts about all things related to office design in the age of COVID-19, while keeping CREs up to date with new insights as they emerge. I'm Melissa Pacey, Principal at HGA in our San Francisco office, and super excited to be your host today. Here with me to talk about what everyone needs to know right now about lighting and mechanical systems are Krasanthi Stockwell, a lighting designer, and Kevin Lin, a senior mechanical engineer, both in our Minneapolis office. Kevin and Krasanthi, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Hi, Melissa, thanks. So I thought that we could maybe start with the bad news and then we'll end on a high note, but could you both talk about some of the limitations that our corporate listeners might have, maybe especially those in multi-tenant buildings? And Kevin, why don't we start with you talking a little bit about uh, the mechanical systems? Sure. The limitation that we have, that clients have in multi-tenant buildings is they don't control the system, right? So a lot of the technology and a lot of the solutions that are being talked about out there are really meant for system-based, so air handling units, centralized system components that you don't have a control over making modifications to. And so you're really then at the mercy of the building owner or the property manager to do those things. And so it can be very fearful to know that you can't do anything. And hopefully we can talk about the fact that there is opportunities for you as a tenant, no matter how big a space you are utilizing in a building to provide a safer environment for your employees and guests. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Chrysanthi, are you seeing similar things with lighting control systems? Yes, there's a lot of buzz going on around UV lighting and some of the disinfection tools that are available out there, especially in the medical industry. And we're seeing a lot more requests to vet some of these technologies. And for our corporate clients, a whole new realm, we're getting into something that deals with light, medical issues, and also HVAC issues all blended together. So it's hard to vet those technologies and understand what are true claims or marketing claims. And could you talk a little bit about some of those technologies? I know I've seen some of them kind of be advertised or suggested. And so I think having some of those being highlighted by you for our listeners would be helpful mm-hmm. and just, you know, what you know about them today. Right. I think these technologies have a lot of backbone in being able to provide a safe environment or provide disinfection. I think what we don't know is how it is going to address COVID-19 or be able to future-proof for later. So when we're thinking about installing systems with, for instance, UVC light or germicidal UV light, we have to realize what context it's in and really what we're trying to mitigate. Sometimes we can disinfect one type of bacteria, but we're not really addressing our virus problem for the pandemic right now. So we just have to be really clear what we're using it for and if we're just trying to create a peace of mind and use it as a tool for disinfection or if we're sending the message, oh yeah, we can eradicate a virus. I think those are two different messages that we're trying to navigate now. And can you give some examples of where those systems might be used and how it integrates into an office space per se? So UVC light has been used for a long time and is often used in ductwork or in air handlers. We're seeing a push toward upper room air disinfection that's using UV light. 
So you have mixing of air at the top of the room, and then you're disinfecting that air. And the reason why that is becoming more popular is because we're talking about a virus that is transmitting person to person. So you're in within the same space, and so you're trying to disinfect air within one space as opposed to supplying disinfected air into a room with more people. So that's one way. Um, another way that we're seeing it being advertised is to clean surfaces. So there's a lot of implications with that and on the properties of that light, and I don't know if we'll have time for that. That is another way that people are using it within their space to clean, and there's uh, pros and cons to that method. Do you want to talk about some of the pros and cons, just so that everyone <laughs> kind of has a full understanding of for UVC light, when we talk about surface disinfection, whatever the light touches is what is being disinfected. But if there are furniture or other shadowing in the space, you're not disinfecting underneath those surfaces. UVC light is harmful to the human eye. So we have to be careful on how we use this technology and when we have an occupied space, when it's being used and how long and what our dosages of the space. And, there's a lot of parameters on how you would use that. It also affects the materials that you're using. So as we talk about the different materials in a space, we might be shorting the life of those materials or affecting them adversely as well. That makes a lot of sense and is super helpful. Kevin, can you talk a little bit about air temperature and humidity? And you know, we've seen a lot about what optimal levels are to inhibit the spread of virus. And is it always feasible to do that in a space? No. The short answer is no. The challenge that they have that, that's out there is optimum health conditions for humidity levels are usually between 40 and 60% relative humidity. But 40 and 60% has been proven that it doesn't kill COVID-19. You actually need humidity levels up near 100% to make it effective to actually like kill it. What an elevated humidity level does is it COVID-19 typically or, or viruses typically attach themselves to aerosols, moisture droplets coming out of people's mouths or when they sneeze and stuff. And in the drier climates, that droplet will evaporate quicker and make what is left than just the virus in the air. It's a smaller component makes it harder to capture and collect. Whereas when you have the elevated humidity levels, that droplet does not evaporate as easily. And so it will not travel as far because it's not as light and it's associated with something that has a mass to it that will either fall to the ground and be, you know, maybe on a surface that can be cleanable or get pulled up into the mechanical system. So keeping humidity levels elevated can be helpful in reducing the spread of it, but it does not remove the spread of it. Temperature really is not going to have an effect. Temperature and relative humidity kind of play together with each other but it, that impact, there is nothing directly there. The challenge with keeping humidity levels up is most building construction, especially across the country, as you look in areas with colder temperatures, aren't the envelopes are not built for those elevated humidity levels in the winter. And so then what you end up doing is you end up causing issues in your envelope with moisture, potential mold growth, and items like that, that would be more long-term damaging than trying to do that. If the building is known or planned to have a higher elevated humidity year round, you would design your building envelope accordingly. Being able to go into an existing building, especially some like a historic building or something along those lines and just say, hey, we're gonna 
increase our relative humidity, you're going to cause a lot more damage than what you're trying to effectively limit your return on investment. There are other means of effectively controlling the spread and uh, helping reduce the amount of virus in the space than humidity and temperature. Got it. That's probably news to a lot of people that are listening and helpful for them to know. What are things that you could do today that would be helpful that you would recommend to our clients and listeners? Well, from a mechanical system, things that we are recommending is to look at your systems and figure out there are there ways to bring in more ventilation. So we want to reduce the amount of air that is being recirculated in a space that potentially has the virus in it. So if we can find times to have more outside air brought in and then the air that's in the space is being relieved to the outside. It's limiting the opportunity for somebody on the other side of the office for their infection to get spread through the mechanical system to me on the other side, on a different portion of the office or, or even just within the building, right? Different floors of the building. So being able to do more outside air is something that can easily be done within limitations. You need to make sure you don't stress your system from that standpoint. And then modifying your filters. So this is one where you, when you have to recirculate your air, let's try to find there are performance differences in filtration that you can add to your system, be it a centralized system or even a localized system. So if you have heat pumps or fan coil units that have independent filters, you can put in a better filtration that will, with recirculated air, pull out more of the virus containing droplets and everything else and keep them from being distributed to other spaces. Those are two things that are easy and quick that can be done to systems regardless of what kind of system you have. Great. Chrysanthi, how about you? What are some major takeaways that you would recommend to do today? I would recommend evaluating your cleaning protocols and some of these things like Kevin is talking about or UVC lighting, like I mentioned, could be tools that could supplement that, especially in high touch areas. We're talking about food preparation areas or fitness areas or large gathering spaces like convention centers, where this might be a technology that could provide peace of mind or help in the cleaning protocols. I think we have to evaluate space by space, but it is a tool available. If it's used correctly, it can be helpful. I've heard you also talk a little bit about access to daylight and sunlight. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think as we move back into our spaces where we want to really have a collaborative space, we want to feel like we're at home and we're comfortable. And so this is really important for our corporate workspaces to consider how daylight is part of the design. It can affect your psychological well-being. It also has inherent disinfection properties. Now, that's, I'm going to say that, but really we need to think about materials. And if you're filtering daylight, you might be taking the UV out of your space. But I think there are advantages of having sunlight in space and feeling comfortable and safe within a space. Great. Are there any specific products that you would recommend or things to think about while using any specific products? A lot of those devices are unregulated. So it's really hard without having the proper equipment to test some of these 
dense materials, whether they're actually emitting the proper amount of UV light or even seeing metal detectors that you walk through that emit UV light. How are we addressing the period of time that you need under that light to disinfect with some of those products? It's really up to the user with those products. Kevin, I know I've heard you talk a bit about adding like filtered air circulators to spaces when you can't maybe mess with the system at all. Is that something you could kind of quickly touch on? Yeah. So when there is multiple opportunities for clients in various situations, sometimes, again, if you don't have access to your whole system, there are things you can do from like an in-room perspective, right? So Krasanthi has talked about the UVGI lighting that can be in a space. Mechanically, there are recirculating HEPA filter systems. That again, as I talked about filtration being something that really does help capture the particulate and keeps it from being in the airstream. There are portable HEPA filters that can be put in spaces that you can utilize to help kind of keep an area, a smaller area clean. There is technology out there called bipolar ionization, which basically captures viruses that are part of an ion, breaks them apart, and provides clean air, cleaner air from that standpoint. So there are localized things that can be done that don't preclude people from who are tenants, smaller tenants in areas, from having a system that helps make it a more safer environment for the people in that, in that space. I'm wondering also if you could both talk a little bit about, you know, obviously we've kind of talked about like things we can do today, but as we move forward, designing new space, maybe ground up or completely like gutting and remodeling, what are some things that you think that we should be thinking about more long-term as we build new systems to combat something like this down the road and giving ourselves a little bit maybe more flexibility to deal with these types of pandemics? I think flexibility is exactly what we're looking at. It's we're trying to put our infrastructure in so we can future-proof for later pandemics or be able to flex as people need to work at home or in the space. One thing from a lighting side that I think might be important to think about is what are we adding that is costing more energy or putting more tax on our infrastructure? Can that be a temporary thing and be, be able to be removed when we don't need disinfection? Also, what are we touching? such as AV lighting systems? Are we able to create infrastructure where people can use either their own personal devices or we're just having less touch points within our workspace that are shared? Yeah, and I think Krasanthi touched on something that the short-term stuff, at least mechanically, will have an impact on your energy consumption. So as we go into new spaces or doing more significant retro spaces, as we know and define some of these parameters and systems that we want to be doing, we can then make sure that we are designing them to be as energy efficient as possible, because that is a long-term operating cost that will always be there. Doing something quick and easy, as I mentioned earlier, with filtration, even natural ventilation to a point may end up resulting in you consuming more energy in the short term until you can provide a better thought out and planned solution in the long term where you can then bring your energy consumption back down. Doesn't matter if it's from a UV or added filters, technology like bipolar ionization, anything along those lines will have that ramification that we should be considering. Great, thank you both. Is there anything just here in closing that you wanna mention that we didn't cover here today? I think what people need to understand is that no solution is a one shoe fits all solution. 
what you should do is you should evaluate what you have, what your opportunities are, talk with professionals who are in the know, architects, engineers, building maintenance facility, and understand really what is going to be the right solution for you and your employees or clients or guests. So that way you're not just throwing money and throwing effort at something that's going to have a minimum impact or not even an impact, but it's because it's the hot thing out there that you feel like you have to do it. Every solution will be different because everyone's situation is slightly different. And there is a system or equipment that works and provides a better environment for everybody, but you just have to make sure it's applied appropriately to your condition. That's great. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you to Chrysanthi and Kevin for giving us all some helpful insight into our building systems. Knowing that air filtration should be our main focus right now is really helpful. To stay up to date with all the insights from HGA, please visit hga.com insights or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share with your friends or on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. To keep this conversation going, please share on any of our social channels under the post for this episode. If you're interested in talking to me or any of our guests, please reach out to the contact information provided on our website. I'm Melissa Pacey, and I can't wait to talk again during our next episode.